Hello, college football fans, and welcome to episode 36 of College Football Throwdown. I am your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Good evening. All right. Well, we're finally here, Dad, the end of the college football season. Sad times. It is, it is very sad times. I, I think I, I looked it up after the game. I think there's like 230 days until the next next big that's, game. That's right. Next I game. think so. Something well, like now that. the countdown begins again. Yeah, that's right. Well, we say that, but there will be plenty for us to talk on the podcast with recruiting and the spring game. So oh yes, there's stuff to look forward to. Oh, and there and and actually, there's so many things that we need to talk about. You know, things that we haven't talked about in the week to week of the season uh, that have to do more with the uh, you know the the game or the sport of football, right? And and what's happening that way. So I I'm excited about some of the subjects that we can talk about. And in fact, this might be as good a time as any to to toss that out there for uh, any of our our listeners or folks who listen to the podcast. This time that uh, we're a podcast that loves to to talk about subjects uh, like that, and so if somebody has a question or an issue that they think should be addressed, we would love to hear from them. That's right. And for those of you who are listening to our podcast for the first time, just so you know, this is College Football Throwdown, a uh, college football podcast by college football fans for college football fans, and. Uh, this father-son duo we've been doing this for a little while now you have 36 episodes not too shabby and uh this particular episode is going to be talking primarily about the um the national championship game the alabama clemson game as well as a few pieces of news that have come out since then um i was just reminded actually we did get a uh we did get a comment on one of our previous podcasts uh on episode 34 which was the nebraska ucla recap episode uh, huh. Steve commented on our website, uh, footballthrowdown.podomatic.com, and said, I'm not saying that you have to blast right up the middle, but when we're inside the five-yard line, I expect to run the ball into the end zone. I know you know what I'm talking about. I believe the official term for it is getting cute. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's true. That's yeah. also very true. Yeah. So, yes, we agree with you, Steve. More... Mm, you know, in those situations, you got to run it. Honestly, even in uh, talking about this Alabama-Clemson game, I feel like there were some situations with Clemson where I thought they had been having some success running the ball and then get to third and short and they'd throw it. And it would sometimes bamboozle me a little bit. Right. Yeah. But before we dive into that, we're going to do as is our tradition and crack a cold beverage. It's All right. Let's do that. My turn this time. So. There. All right. Yep. All right. Now, my, the the most important question to ask before we get into the uh, national championship discussion is: Do you have tickets for Powerball? <laughs> I do not. Do you? I do. You do. You're that was of, my errand. Part of the. Fan. I got in three three minutes underneath uh, the wire. That's, wow! So you went out last minute just for that. <laughs> Huh. Yes, I did. Uh, I don't do that very often either, I, as you know. I don't know. <laughs> Listeners don't know about this, but there's stories about you uh, <laughs> going away from school board meetings to take your son out gambling at the casino. <laughs> so you do have some Quiet. some inclinations. <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, I for this game, actually, it started at 5.30 my time, Pacific time. 
so basically, right after I got out of work, I went to a uh, bar in Toluca Lake, right near my uh, workplace, and it was actually pretty cool. It's this like Irish pub, just a locally owned, you know, small place, but uh, there were a lot of. Uh, it seemed like there were a lot of Clemson fans in there because they were definitely cheering for Clemson, and uh, and it was it was a nice environment to watch the bar in. You know, some some common commonly interested people around and some good food. So it was good times. How about That's you? Cool. That's cool. We uh, we watched it right here at the house uh, with uh, with uh, a couple of friends and uh, and enjoyed uh, enjoyed uh, just kind of cheering uh, the good game on. It was such it was so nice after what I think we both uh, jointly described as a kind of disappointing uh, bowl season in terms of just not having very many entertaining games as as good as all the matchups looked. You know there were quite a few games that were lopsided and. And didn't uh, produce the kind of, uh, you know, uh, interest that you would have hoped. Uh, and so to have a, a national championship game that, that kind of kept you captivated was a good thing. That's true. Um, I have actually saw a list on ESPN where they were talking about the, like, top ten uh, national championship games, you know, in terms of his- history. And they ranked this one up at, like, number five, I think. Like a lot of people are talking about it as being one of those classics. Yes, I think it, I, it certainly was a, a, a classic game in that neither team gave up. Uh, you know, the, there was uh, they were always in it. You could just kind of feel that both teams were were uh, on the edge. They would take momentum at a certain point, but but no one ran away and hid. You know, it was very much a, a game that was in the balance. Yeah. You know, I think they, you know, they did a good job of proving that these were the top two teams in the country, you know, playing for their lives here at the end. Um, going into our predictions, um, I come out on top on this one. You had predicted an Alabama victory of 31-14 to 14 over Clemson, whereas I predicted an Alabama victory 38-31. Uh, so neither of us were right in terms of the score. but You were pretty close. But I, I, was, I was all right. I did all right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. I guess you you didn't think Clemson was going to put up much of a fight from the I did, well, uh, not so much that I didn't think they were going to put up a fight, but but that I felt that uh, after watching Alabama in the uh, in the first round of the playoffs, I uh, believed uh, I was fairly confident that that over the course of the game, Alabama would at some point secure control and then just kind of start pounding them and. And uh, Alabama wasn't ever able to do that. In fact, they they ended with only like 135 yards rushing or something like that. And uh, and really, from a line of scrimmage standpoint, I would have to admit that Clemson uh, was as it uh, was at least equal, if not a little better than uh, than Alabama at the lines of scrimmage. I mean, certainly Clemson's defensive line uh, wreaked havoc on Iowa's or uh, Alabama's offensive line. Oh yeah. Well, I think they were making the point that uh, this this was like the worst performance for Alabama's defense all year. You know, like nobody put oh, yeah. like, 500 yards on them, even close to that. Right, um, right. And, and this this definitely went to show um, that Deshaun Watson is probably the best quarterback in college football at this moment because he was on fire that night. And that was pretty, yes. it's pretty special to watch. It was, it was. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so talking about, because um, I remember it was surprising, you know, because uh, uh, Alabama, you know, got that 
big score by uh, Henry early on. And so that kind of had me a little bit worried. Uh, but then, you know, Clemson went up 14-7 uh, to 7 and had the chance to, you know, start another drive and go up by 14 points, which I think would have seriously changed the complexion of the game. Uh, but that's where Watson threw his only interception of the night, and they took that one back, you know, and scored, tying it up. And I think that was definitely one of the turning points in the game. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, that that's that's the deal, especially with a team like Alabama. You you need to kind of put your foot on that. Uh, uh, when if you if you get the opportunity to get them down, you need to put your foot on it and make sure that you don't uh, give them that that you know life to come back in it because they'll they'll find a way now the reality is is that every time alabama seemed to have one of those big plays whether it was one of their and their special teams obviously were the difference in the game uh uh with the things that they did but but uh uh, you know clemson never gave up i mean you know there were so many points there where you would think that that clemson might just throw up their hands and say i I just you know in frustration and, and kind of diminish their intensity and focus a little bit but they didn't do it so a lot of credit to uh, to Clemson and their staff and coaches and, and stuff. And, and Clemson's a young football team, so I would be shocked if uh, Clemson isn't in the middle of it again next year. Now, there are a couple of other teams in that ACC that, that might have something to say about that, but, but Clemson's certainly going to be in that mix. Oh, yeah. I was surprised, actually, when I realized that, you know, Watson's a sophomore and a lot of their starters are sophomores. Someone was yep. talking about that on the and- radio. And they they did lose like uh, four early entrants to the NFL draft, but still they're going to have an awful lot of returning starters and uh, a a really good core of players. Oh, yeah. Well, and specifically to what you were just talking about, if I recall correctly, um, you know, there was the other big turning point in the game, you know, where Alabama – gets a big play, you know, but then actually has to suffer a field goal, you know, in the red zone to tie up the ball game. And then Nick Saban goes for his risky, you know, crazy onside kick and gets it, catches everyone by surprise and scores like two plays later. Um, So that was definitely like a, you know, this could be the death nail thing. But Clemson came out and like scored within like less than two minutes, I think, right after that. Right. It looked like they were back in it. And then Alabama had the kickoff return, and that right. that was where it really kind of. But yeah, and and that's the thing is you, you can you can point to all these all these uh, points within the game where you know a- Alabama had something just absolutely spectacular happen in in, in their favor, and then uh, 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 but then Clemson would just climb right back into it. Yeah, well, and what's interesting looking at the stats here, this is pretty crazy. First downs, Alabama had 18, Clemson had 31. Right, I know. I was going to bring that up, actually. It's interesting that you, you've figured out that same thing. I, I agree. that that When looking through the information on the, on the game stats, that was the one that jumped out to me. You know, it, but it, it doesn't completely surprise me. As I, as I think back to the game, it was pretty clear. I mean, Clemson was just, you know, just moving it down the field. That offense was was really unstoppable they only stopped themselves i mean it really wasn't necessarily that alabama was doing a great job of stopping them oh yeah well and uh and that was one of the points i was going to make was that you know clemson had a lot of drives you know where they you know had Mm -hmm. successive plays that scored whereas alabama um 
You know, Clemson's, it was crazy that Clemson's defense would look like they were completely, you know, the iron wall, you know, completely shutting down everything, uh-huh. you know, not letting Coker get any passes, sacking him a bunch of times. But then they'd have these horrific blown coverages looking like, you know, early 2015 Nebraska. And, uh, and Alabama just got a bunch of big plays and they were able to score easily because of that. And- Part of that is part of that is execution and having some plays that obviously they had they had seen and maybe felt they were going to have some advantage. And then keep in mind that Clemson was uh, you know uh, playing without uh, one of the best you know players in the country um, uh, and uh, and one of their cornerbacks uh, was hurt going into the game. They weren't even sure Alexander whether he was going to play or not. Mackenzie Alexander is his name. And he ended up starting the game, but then he got hurt fairly early on mm-hmm. and was replaced. And uh, and so that uh, one of the young uh, defensive backs that was in that backfield was, in fact, involved in a couple of those huge blown coverage plays. Now, not that he was necessarily the one that was an error. I don't. I'm not going to claim to know, but just knowing that there was some uh, some transition going on back there because of injuries. Um, uh, was a big part of it, you know. Yeah, Clemson had a few players going uh, off the field throughout that game. They had, they had yeah. a few big injuries I could think of. Yeah, and and that's the thing that I kept talking while even texting with you about during the game was, you know, that I tell you what, you just can't um, you can't allow a team like Alabama that has the talent and physical capabilities that they have. Uh, you can't keep allowing them to kind of hang in there and just keep pounding pounding on you and pounding on you and, and doing that sort of thing uh, because eventually that wears you down. Now, I, I, I'm going to say that I think Clemson was successful enough offensively and kept kept uh, Alabama's team on the field enough that that wear down factor probably never really came into play, but that was the fear that you had throughout the game, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and another turning point I can recall, I believe is in the fourth quarter, where Clemson's defense did a great job, I think got a sack or two, and so they kicked it from like way back in their own end zone, and Clemson got the ball on the 50-yard line, and that was early in the fourth quarter, I believe, when Clemson still had the lead, and so that was kind of the moment where they could, you know, stab the knife down, you know, and take a take a more uh, commanding lead, uh, and but they, they, they couldn't do it in that situation. You know, they had to punt it, and then the punt went into the end zone, so it really was only like a 30-yard punt, and that was the moment where Clemson had the chance to kind of put the game away a bit, and they couldn't do it. Right. It's true. That is yeah. true. Another interesting stat here, um, both not great on third downs. Uh, Alabama was 9 of 18. Clemson was 6 of 14, which I think goes to show how often they were converting on first and second downs on a lot of true. those drives. That's true. And, and and 9 of 18 isn't terrible. I mean, 50% isn't a horrible number no. uh, by any stretch, but it's not bad, uh, you know, but it's not good either. I guess you'd want you'd want to be a little higher than 50%. Yeah. But I mean, it just goes to show how often Alabama was getting put into third down third situations. Third downs, yeah, that's right. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Uh, also impressed uh, both teams pretty light on penalties, you know, yep. two and four for just like 20 yards each, you know, time of possession is pretty much the same split right down the middle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's the thing. Very clean game. Uh, there wasn't a lot of chippiness for the most part. Both teams were out nope. there playing hard uh, for each other. It was exactly what the sport needed after, uh, like I said, a somewhat disappointing overall 
uh, you know, bowl season, uh, it was great to have this be the capstone event yeah. uh, for for the for the sport. And it, you know, for as um, for as much as you know, Alabama kind of put away there in the fourth quarter. I mean, Clemson scored and they had 12 seconds left, and they went for the onside kick. You know, had they gotten it, they would have one or two chances for hail mary. You know, to win the game. So you know, it really was a game that was was competitive down to the very end right right absolutely well and and that's the thing i mean i think it was i don't know what the exact time was maybe it was seven minutes or something like that left the game was tied Mm -hmm. you know uh i mean you know you you can't ask for much more than that if if you're wanting to write a script for a good entertaining football game and i'm sure once all the you know television numbers and stuff come out they'll it'll indicate that it was a good game maybe not as great a numbers as last year um um but but i bet you'll be pretty close so that whole concern about the uh you know the the semifinals being on new year's which turned out to be not great for our numbers rating rating standpoint uh this was quite good oh yeah yeah well and and to go back to what we talked about before i mean Got it. I have to give Saban, you know, I, I have some issues with him as we've talked about on this podcast, but give him credit as a coach. You know, that was a brilliantly executed onside kick because you, oh, uh, from reading the interviews with him afterwards, you could apparently they had uh, practiced that that move in practice. Then they noticed that uh, Clemson's formation, you know, they weren't lining up towards that left side of the field. You know, they, there was a gap there. And so they saw yep. that and they took advantage of it. Right, right. Now, uh, and you may recall. First of all, I would I want to reiterate what you said, which is that was a brilliant onside kick, and it was a uh, not only was it a great idea, it was um, um, perfectly executed, just perfectly, perfectly executed. So yeah, but uh, and but just to put it in context, I mean, think about that. That was right after I think Alabama kicked a field goal to tie the game up. Uh, there, you know, you. Uh, what do I want to say? If that hadn't worked, you know, if if Clemson had gotten the ball, you know, I mean, Nick Saban basically just gave Clemson an easy score, and people would be calling him an idiot, you know. But but because it worked, he's a genius. <laughs> so that's how it works. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. But, uh, but I'll tell you, um, um, uh, what's his name? The coach from, uh, Clemson, uh, Sweeney, uh, Dabo, Sweeney. Dabo Sweeney was absolutely going crazy after that. And, and then after the game, he was, he explained why, what he was trying to convey. Apparently they had run a similar, uh, type of onside kick situation and, um, it had been, uh, and and the onside, even though they had been successful, the onside kick was, um, um, you know, uh, what I want to say, it was reversed uh, because, and the and the explanation they got was, you have to give uh, the receiving team an opportunity to to catch or to secure the football. That 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 that, that it was it was deemed illegal because. Uh, that he had uh, that the team had not given them an opportunity, meaning you couldn't just kick it to yourself, which is effectively what Alabama did in this case. And I, I, I want to. That's one thing I want to do is is do a little bit more research into the, the rule book as it relates to onside kicks to understand 
where that ever came from. And, and so anyway, I think it was against like Georgia or Florida earlier this year. Uh, um, uh, Clemson was playing somebody and uh, I think it must've been Georgia cause I don't think they played Florida. Uh, but, uh, but bottom line is Clemson kind of got, got the raw end of the deal on a onside kick earlier in the year uh, in which a similar situation had occurred. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess it was a little unusual that usually you'll see an, with an onside kick like that, they try to like, you know, kick it into the ground and make it, you know, go bounce. up, bounce right. up. Bounce weird. Right. right. But I, I, I've never heard of this whole, you've got to give them a chance to catch it first type of thing. I, I think if, as long as it goes 10 yards, it is a live football. It's like a fumble and you can go get it. So the fact that they were able to pooch kick it like that and just literally catch it on the run like they did with just amazing um, is, uh, I think it's just a great scheme. Yeah, no, definitely worked really well. So I guess getting to some overall thoughts here just about the game. I mean, like I said, I enjoyed it a lot. It was real entertaining. Um, it was, you know, tough from my perspective because I wanted Clemson to win. So I kept waiting for them to you know, put the game away and then, you know, seeing Clemson or Alabama, you know, score 24 points in the fourth quarter, you know, and come away with the victory, that definitely hurt. And seeing, you know, I don't know much about him, but I already like Dabo Sweeney from the little bit I do, you know, because he seemed super into the game. And to see him, like, hanging his head there at the end was definitely kind of a bummer for me. But, but a great game all around, you know, congrats to Alabama for, you know, earning it. Yep, exactly. I mean, that, that's a good summation. Uh, I feel the same way. Um, and, uh, um, you know, it was, it's disappointing because, uh, you know, uh, I have, I have great respect for, for, uh, Nick Saban as a coach and what, and what he does. Um, and you know, he has brought a lot of things to the sport, but he's also brought some things that I vehemently disagree with. And, and we're going to have to, have some future podcasts where we delve a little further into, you know, uh, at least uh, our perspectives on why is it that a team like um, Alabama has been able to develop the dynasty and the and the consistent level of success that they have. What are the aspects of that, of their decisions and their process that I admire, and what are the aspects and 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 areas that I that I do not. Uh, acknowledge or, or, or want to uh, uh, pursue, you know, uh, because there's some things that I think that have really damaged the sport long term because of some of the decisions that and, and programs that he's put in place. But there's other things that he does that are just outstanding and, and you can't do anything but admire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I wanted to actually bring that up. Um, now that, you know, Nick Saban has led uh, Alabama, I believe, in style five championships in within seven years and you know he has you know he has maybe maybe it's eight years and he He has has four right he has he has four at alabama and one at lsu that's right so it's four 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 national championships in six years i think that's what it is at alabama and now he has five total so the only coach that has more than him now is bear bryant Um, right so what do you say to that in terms of the whole you know the alabama dynasty and uh, Nick Saban is the greatest coach of all time. Discussion. Well, I, I mean, he, he, he certainly is in the discussion. Um, and I would argue that in this day and age, with the scholarship limits the way they are, with the distribution of, 
of opportunity and, and, and access to both athletes and money that exists in today's college football environment, I would have to say that he, he has to, uh, you know, he has to be right there as the greatest of all time. I mean, I, I think the numbers, you know, he has put together a book of, of, uh, of, of numbers that are going to be pretty darn hard to dispute. The only question would be, you know, the Bear Bryant, uh, you know, uh, and a few other coaches maybe had this level of consistent success over a longer period of time. And so the longevity thing maybe isn't quite there in Nick's corner yet. But in terms of uh, just pure uh, high-level performance and, and achieving that pinnacle of national championship, you know, Nick has done it, you know, better than anybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd have to agree, you know, in terms, if we're talking about, you know, coaches as leaders of men, you know, we I'd have an issue with that because, you know, that, you know, Nick Saban has some issues in terms of how he views the student athlete, you know, that we've talked about in the past, we'll probably talk about more in the future. But in purely football terms, I mean, I don't think there's any question that he is one of the greatest. Yes, I would say that's true. Uh, you know, and Dabo Sweeney as a young coach now, and uh, you know, he's one I probably have more admiration for uh, just because I, I, I like some of the things that he is doing as a coach, both in terms of on the field, but also in terms of how he goes about his, his program development, his process. Um, I think uh, maybe lends itself a little more to the, the student athlete side of things than the Nick. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, that would be an interesting compare and contrast for us down the road. Mm -hmm. That's right. And now, and you had some news, um, that came out today about, uh, some changes from the ES or the, uh, NCAA rules committee, correct? Right, right. And, uh, the, the, the big, big news coming out today was that the, uh, the big 12 had made a request or put in a request for a change in, in the interpretation and how, uh, a, a conference could, could uh, get a conference championship game in the past. It has always been that you needed to have at least 12 teams and those teams needed to be divided into divisions so that you could basically set up a, uh, a conference championship game. Now uh, the need for divisions is eliminated uh, and the quantity of 12 is no longer required uh, as, a, as a minimum standard. Now uh, the standard is simply that you need to have um, everybody play each other uh, in a round-robin type of uh, uh, schedule structure to be eligible to then have a conference championship game. So, so a, a conference like the Big Ten, excuse me, the Big 12, which has only 10 teams, could now have a conference championship game even though they don't have divisions and they don't have 12 teams. Yeah. Now here's an interesting... Uh, uh, thought that this new rule brings up, and I'm not saying that this is going to happen because I don't think it's likely. But if there were to be, you know, some uh, conference redistribution at some point in the future, or a new conference were to, you know, arise or whatever, you know, that was uh, eight teams, um, you know, so now they they have a conference championship game too, as long as they have a round robin, you know, fill the rest of their schedule with, you know, non-conference opponents? Well, with, without reading all the details of the, of the rule wording, I think my initial interpretation based on the articles I read 
uh, I believe the answer is yes, that they would be eligible to do that. And and here's my uh, my the bigger point is is I think uh, what might be interesting if you started to see some conference realignment again is that some conferences that find themselves at 14 might revisit whether that was a good idea or not, mm-hmm. and uh, and and maybe even shrink a little if uh, if they could begin to convince themselves that maybe by uh, you know, you'd be uh, able to divide the pie among fewer teams and still get a lot of the same revenue stream from uh, from your television partners. There would be at least a temptation to maybe reconsider that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the idea that, you know, of splitting the, the same amount, you know, or similar amount between fewer mouths, you know, is a tempting one. And that's why the big, the Big 12 wanted this in the first place because they didn't want to add two more teams, you know, to their conference when there aren't a ton of, you know, top tier teams available. Right. Uh, well, I, are you asking a question in that? No, or? I'm just saying that's a statement. I think that's why okay. they did it for exactly what you just said. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, yeah, it brings up a lot of, uh, it basically changes a lot of rules, um, uh, regarding, you know, the decisions that led to some of this uh, conference expansion and stuff. I mean, the Big Ten sat there for, you know, uh, from 1994 until whenever the, uh, Nebraska got into the Big Ten uh, at 11 teams and were unable to have a conference championship game for those early years. I mean, uh, the Big the the Big 12 had a conference championship game starting in 1996, and the and the SEC I think started even before that, maybe in 94 or something. So, so I mean, you know, they toiled for a decade or more uh, without being able to have that conference championship game and the money that that represented. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So uh, that's crazy. Although I wonder, you know, under – because like you said, the, you said that there were some coaches within the Big 12 who talked about with this recent rule that, you know, they weren't necessarily a big fan of it because, you know, that's a – extra kind of hurdle they have to overcome an extra game you know if they want to uh you know be the conference champion be the best in the conference um and i'm sure there was probably some similar talk in the big 10 especially given that at that time you know it was the bcs system so it was about you know the voting and the polls and uh whereas you know because of the college football playoff now you know with the increased emphasis on strength of schedule and all that i think that extra game has become more important as we saw with the big 12 uh, last year um right in, in right 14 so you know i think you know had had we had the college football playoff back in that time when the big 10 was at 11 teams i think they probably would have uh, been quicker to jump on somebody to get a 12th you know in that situation yeah i i would agree but, but here's my whole point is is that i wish the the NCA would have had a little backbone and said, you know, because of the history and 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 that there has been a whole series of decisions that have been made over the last two decades that have led us to today, based on this rule, that we can't basically in midstream make that change happen. We just can't do it. And so um, um, we're gonna we're gonna simply hold the line here and encourage you guys in the Big Twelve to. To, to get serious about about how you might find yourself uh, a couple more teams and get to 12. Uh, because ultimately, I think long-term for the sport, 
it would be healthy for them, uh, for the Big 12 to do that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out uh, in terms of, you know, I know that it sounded from our conversation before that Jim Delaney of the Big 10 um, wanted to add some uh, extra limitations or, or additions to those uh, to this rule change. Yeah. So I'm curious about what those ended up being. Yeah, me too. I, I don't know if those got waived or what happened there. But uh, and, and, and it didn't necessarily have to do with with, uh, you know, him trying to stop uh, them or make it go to 12. It had to do with some other issues that he saw as as potential uh, um, kind of uh, unintended consequences of it. Um, but uh, but anyway, I, I, I would have to do more research. All right. Were there any other um, major changes from this kind of rules meeting? Or I know that was the biggest uh, th- one. That that was the one that uh, that was getting all the article coverage. And I suspect, like I said, I think that they probably didn't get together and have a meeting just to decide just that one rule. There had to be other rule decisions too. So I'll I'll have to do some more research, and we'll do that on a future podcast. There's a little teaser. There we go. All right. Do you have anything more you want to talk about, or are you ready to wrap it up here? I, I, I'm I'm ready to wrap this one up, and uh, but but uh, just let uh, those who are listeners know that we're going to continue to do podcasts. They may not be as consistently, you know, two times a week or even one time a week. Uh, they may be more uh, based on news and availability, but we will continue to do that. So I, I really want to in, invite and encourage folks to, if they haven't done it before and they enjoyed uh, listening to our podcast, that they that they sign up uh, at Podomatic because it really is easy to kind of keep track of when uh, uh, when a new one comes available, right? By simply having a, 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 becoming a subscriber to our uh, football throwdown podcast. Yep, that's right. And uh, I want to talk about that. I know on the previous one, we had talked about some ideas um, in terms of kind of a, you know, 2015 season recap, maybe both for, you know, college football as a whole, as well as the Huskers, you know, and some conversations about, um, you know, like the medical scholarships and those kind of, you know, bigger issues that we've been going kind of on and off about uh, for a long time now. Um, so I'm hoping that we can settle into some sort of like kind of bi-weekly schedule for the right. season and maybe, you know, ramping up when we get closer to the spring games and that sort of thing. Sure. That sounds like a plan. I like it. Cool. All right. Well, if you out there enjoyed listening to this, you can email us at huskerpeat 13 at gmail.com. You can find us online at footballthrowdown.potomatic.com or on iTunes under College Football Throwdown. You can uh, comment on the football throwdown potomatic page um or you can subscribe to us on itunes and leave us ratings reviews you know we always like hearing from you guys all that good stuff so thank you out there for listening to us for this uh 2015 college football season and thank you dad for joining for me for this podcast thank you appreciate it son and you have yourself a, a great week and we'll uh, we'll talk again soon and have another podcast here before we know it that's right. Go Big Red. Go Big Red. <laughs>